are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I've always loved Acts 13 because the gospel is going to be leaving this place and they're sending out their first missionaries. And I always preach, through the years I've preached quite a bit from chapter 13 at the beginning of it, but I've never gone very often to the end of it. And tonight we're going to get toward the end of it in just a little bit in uh, Acts chapter 13. There's a truth that I want to give us tonight that applies to my life and your life. Our Father, I love these people so very much. They have been the perfect church and they are the perfect church. I, I thank you for what they mean to me the cause of Christ. I thank you for their faith and their testimony that's spoken of throughout the whole world. And though we live where in a sense we believe this is where Satan's seat is, we are so very blessed to be living here for such a time as this. We are at the point of, I believe, experiencing the blessings of God like very few churches ever have this joy. I thank you for the spirit of these people. Lord, they have conquered the parking lot. I really believe they love the parking lot. One of these days soon, I'm gonna to have to get us ready to move back inside. I don't know if everybody's excited about that. Because God, you put a peace in their heart where we find ourselves. I thank you for visitors here tonight. I thank you for faithful people here tonight. I thank you for our friends that watch on the internet. God, speak to our heart is my prayer this evening. For we ask this prayer in that wonderful, lovely name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're in Acts chapter 13 tonight. And again, I want to welcome the people in the back parking lot. I'm so sorry you're around the corners and you cannot see and the corners around this parking lot as well, but we're grateful for you, dear folks, as well. Everyone in life, everyone in life will choose how to invest their lives. Henry Ford chose to invest his life in the automotive business. I would say it was a good investment. He gave us the automobile. And now we enjoy automobiles because of his investment. Willie Mays invested his life, born in 1931, still alive, invested his life in baseball. And what a career he had. But that's his investment. He's known for baseball. Colin Kaepernick. I don't believe he'll ever be remembered for going to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I don't believe he'll be remembered for that. I don't believe he'll ever be remembered for playing for the University of Nevada. Probably right now, most people don't even remember that. He'll be remembered for one thing. I don't care what happens. He'll be remembered for kneeling for the national anthem and beginning a wave that has gone throughout America. That's his claim to fame. That's his investment in life. John F. Kennedy will be remembered for politics as a senator from Massachusetts, as a president of the United States. 
Sam Walton will long be remembered for Walmart. And if you've ever read his book, he would take vacations in the station with the family. And on vacation, he'd always go to a place called the Five and Dime Store. And he'd look at the Five and Dime Store and get ideas. And the kids just knew all four, they're going to be stopping at the Five and Dime Store to get ideas of how to develop a store one day. And now we have Walmart as a result of that. Everyone chooses how they're going to invest their life. A myriad of, of issues and causes. Some invest their lives in money. The man that just died on April 14th at 82 years of age, he uh, invested his money in a Ponzi scheme. And though he was worth, they said, over $263 billion, he went to prison because it was a scam. Two months to the day, two years to the day that his dad went to prison, his one son who was part of it committed suicide. His other son died of a disease. His wife is a widow and there, there she is in a little one bedroom apartment. They say she's dyed her hair, she's changed her color, she never goes outside, she doesn't have a friend in the world, so we're told. Because her husband chose to be part of a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme, a lot of times, it's basically a pyramid. Don't get involved in those pyramid schemes. But he lied to people and he died in prison. You know, some folks will invest in business and others in politics and others in sports and others in charity work and church work, television and acting and actresses. Others will invest their life in computers. And some of these are not a bad thing. You become layman and you invest in a job and the work of God and you raise up a family. Uh, that is admirable. That's wonderful. My dad invested in being a tow truck driver and a, a, a mechanic and then worked in the hearing aid business and then in sales. And that's what he did. And he retired from Sears and Roebuck as a salesman and a good one. He invested his life to get an income there, but he invested his life in the house of God and the work of God. My question tonight is where you invest in your life. For our seniors that will graduate a week from Wednesday night, and I hope you're here, these kids deserve your attendance. They have conquered this thing called COVID for three semesters. It's been a long ordeal. They're heroes in my sight. I'll be preaching to that on that evening. I don't know of any other class that's had to come overcome more difficulties than they have but I admire them so very much and the entire student body, both in the college and in the school. But your journey and my journey will one day come to an end. When we come to an end, we'll be remembered for something. If you go out to the cemetery, there's a man who was one of my deacons. He died in his 60s, Brother Gil Bernardino. And on his marker, there's a picture of the front of this building. It says, I'm part of the North Valley Baptist Church. If you go just a few markers over, you'll see a, a carved out of granite, an open Bible. It's Dr. Wally Davis, who was a preacher of the gospel, and passed away very young in life as a great preacher. It tells a testimony. In that cemetery, there's a man that's passed away 
and his marker says Reverend, R-E-V. He was a pastor in Santa Clara, and it says died 1793. Years ago, he pastored in our city. I want you to know you're gonna be remembered for something. I look at those markers and I tried to go out there to pray. It's been shut down and they say they're open now for a few hours, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but when I go, they're still shut down. I like to walk in the cemeteries and pass by your loved one's markers. I like to read the markers. I like to read what it's engraved and embossed there because it tells us really what they stood for, what they were, and where they invested their life. Some of you ought to have on your marker, though there's many different hats you wear, you should have Sunday school teacher. That should be one of the things that they chip into the granite. Sunday school teacher, lover of God, whatever it might be, but I want you to know that our lives will be remembered for something. We are writing our own funeral script right now. Everything that we are in our lives, it's telling a story of what is of value to us. Some people should have a beer can on their marker because they've given those lives over to beer. Others would have to give their lives over to a, a, some type of drugs because that's what their life is spinning from. There's still time to change that. Some will have to uh, say it's corruption. And I was a corrupt person. I was a sinner, I lived in sin. Others, it should maybe say I feigned myself, I was a phony. Or others, it should be a hammock and a person in it said I was lazy in life. I pastor, I believe, the most working church in America. I'm getting to my text, but I want to begin in chapter 13 and verse 14. These people were sent out of Antioch in chapter 13, verse 1. They, verse three, laid hands on them. They sent them away, verse four, and they began to preach the word of God. The first stop on their missionary journey, it's the first missionary journey, was Satan showed up in a demon-possessed man, a sorcerer. And it, they had to deal with that situation, which they did. And in verse 14, they departed from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pasada, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So can you imagine these preachers? It's the time to go to the synagogue. They've been out preaching, cast out demons, saw great things take place, and now it's the time to go to the synagogue. And these itinerant preachers walk in and they sit down. You can just tell they're preachers of the gospel. You can tell there's something about them. And you know the Bible says they sat there. They were listening. After reading of the law, they didn't read it, they heard the law, the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, <laughs> I like this, hey, send word down here to those guys down there. Ye men, if you have any word of exhortation to the people, say on. That was really a dumb thing to say to Baptist preachers. Can you imagine that? Hey, fellas, you got anything to say? And a four foot eight man stood up. He was the apostle Paul. The Bible says he stood up and beckoned with his hand. And he said, man of Israel, and ye that fear God. And he starts off the next verse. 
He said, I want to take you back on this journey to Egypt. And they must have thought, no, he is starting way back there. And we asked him to preach. You got to be kidding. And he went from Egypt. And then he said, verse 18, of the time, 40 years. Oh, no. Now they're in the wilderness. This is going to be a long message. Yes, I like that. And verse 20 said, now let me bring you up to the judges. We're only in the book of Judges. And, and the judges was a long period of time. In fact, he gives you the amount of time it was that they were judges and he thought, oh my goodness, that's 400. He's got 450 years to talk on, just judges. I wonder how many he's gonna talk on. I'd like to be, I'd like to have you wired without your knowledge and hear the things you talk about what I preach sometime and think what you're saying. I, I'd also love to, to hear that. And so there at the judges, oh, but let me say in verse 21, let's get over here to the kings. Let's start with Saul. Now we're in the kings. We got a long ways to go. This is New Testament. Oh my goodness. And he talks about Saul. And then he talked about Jesse. And he talked about David. Oh boy, he's slowing down now. Then he talks about John. Then he talks, and I like it. Man, verse 12, man and brethren. I, I don't mean to be sacrilegious here, but whenever I read that, and he says it often, I always think of Barney Fife. Man, here at the rock. Uh, I guess you'd have to know Andy Griffith's program to know that one. But that's what it sounds like to me. Men, brethren, the children of the stock of Abraham. No, he's gone back. He's starting over. We're back at Abraham. I, I wonder, Brother Cooper, Brother Everson, you preachers, I wonder what's going through their mind. This guy's got a long way yet to go. And then he talked about Pilate. And he talked about Jesus and talked about his death and talked about taking him off the tree in verse 29 and putting him in a sepulcher. In verse 30, he was raised. In verse 31, many days they saw him. They're getting hope now. They're saying, maybe he's gonna wrap it up. But he goes to the Psalms now in verse 33. He goes, I wanna go to the second Psalm. And he went to the second Psalm. And then he said, I want to speak to you about another psalm. And here's where our message is getting close. Verse 35, wherefore, wherefore he saith unto thee another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Here's our text. For David, for David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid under his fathers and saw corruption. I want to speak to you tonight on that phrase. David served his own generation. It is such a privilege to be alive in this generation. I don't look at this as a negative generation. I look at this as the best generation and David served his generation tonight where I'm going for these few moments. 
I'm looking for folks that say, I'm in. My generation can count on me. I'm, I'm, I'm 12 years of age, but by the grace of God, there's something burning in my soul. I'm in. My generation is, I'm, by the grace of God, I'm going to pray that I can serve my generation. I'm 15. I'm 18. By the grace of God, I'll serve my generation. I'm in Bible college, and I'm going to serve my generation right now. And when I leave out of this place, I'm in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. Everyone has a choice to serve your generation. And if you're a mechanic, serve your generation. If you're a computer programmer, serve your generation. If you're a preacher of the gospel, serve your generation. Everyone's going to have to choose how they're going to invest their lives. Some, and I'm afraid many, I'm afraid many, invest their lives in anger and in bitterness and in complaining and in division and in envy and to the internet. Don't, don't spend your life looking at the internet. That ought not to be that you're spending more time with the internet than we are with the precious word of God. Give ourselves to the word of God. I don't know how it does, but I think it's on Sunday. It shows up in my phone how much time I've been on the phone uh, that past week, what I averaged every day. I don't know how it does it. It just does it. And, and, and I'm always glad to see it. And I know I do have a church phone I use in my office quite a bit. But I don't use my phone very much, the truth of the matter is. But it tells me it's about an hour or so a day I'm on my phone, my cell phone, hour and 30 minutes. And I could say, and I hope it doesn't sound boastful, I know I spend more time not studying for the church. I know personally, in my personal walk with God, I spend more than an hour and a half in the Bible. I want more time in my Bible than I do the internet. I don't know how to do the internet. I want more time with the word of God. David served his own generation. I love studying about my parents' generation. The 1920s. Dan Rather, and I'm not a proponent of Dan Rather, but he wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. I believe it's in my study till to this day. And they talked about that generation that went through the World War, finished World War One, and then they came into uh, they came into uh, the Great Depression, and then the Dust Bowl, and then World War Two, and the type of people they were, people of character. And I love reading about it. But I tell you what, I don't want to be part of that generation. I feel like I feel like I was part of the Great Generation. I'm always a little bit worried, bothered about what my nation, my generation did to you. We gave you the hippie movement. We gave you the drug movement. We gave you the no rules movement. We gave you the anti-war movement, protest against Vietnam. We gave you a lot of bad things. But my generation, the post-World War, as I came on the scene and as I began to watch what was happening in those 1950s, I wish you could have lived in the 50s. We had come back from war, and all of a sudden, the automotive industry began to tool back up. I study, I read, someone just gave me a book on the post-World War II vehicles. I study it, I read it. It's my casual reading, I enjoy it. I love reading the pictures. I just look at those cars, and they became beautiful cars, and all that chrome. I don't know necessarily the Chryslers very well, 
but all the 50s and 60s, I know the Fords, I know the Chevys, I know what the taillights were on the 53 Ford and the difference in the 54 Ford and the 55, 54 Chevy and the 53 Chevy and what the 55 looked like, 56 and what kind of coupe you could get and the 210, I know all those things and the engines and the straight six and the V6 and I know the 289, the 265 and the 302 and the two, uh, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the 327 and the 350, I know those engines. Oh, I love it. I just get excited talking about it. It's thrilling to see. I was part of that generation. Every year a new model came out. The model now, they stamp it for it's about 10 years. And they use the same model for 10 years and just tweak a few things. But all oh, then, it was always different. And they'd soak the windows up on the car room showrooms. And most of the car rooms could hold, hold one, some two. Oh, a real expensive one could hold three. And they soaked them up and about the end of September or October, all the searchlights from the, the, the dealership, the Chrysler, the Chevy, the Ford, they'd come out on a Monday night. And my father and I would go look at those new cars. I can recall the very first car. We went to Central Chevrolet and they had one car on that. They had two showrooms, but one in this one and one in this one. And we walked in and it was that two-tone color, had white and had the blue-green color. Oh, it was beautiful. It was a 1956 Chevy. Oh, I'd look at those cars and then they started advertising. You could get a heater with them and you could get a radio. Oh, it's an amazing thing to get a heater with those cars. It was just an amazing thing. And I got, I studied those cars. My dad said in 1959 and in 1960, he was working downtown Stockton in a 12 story brick building. He was on the first floor and across the street was Eagle Ford and Chase Chevrolet and the Chrysler dealership and the Buick dealership and the Cadillac dealership. And he said, son, there's nothing for you to do here at the hearing aid store today. Why don't you just go across the street and spend the time? And I spent all day looking at those cars. That 59 Cadillac, I remember seeing a picture, I told you it before, where here's a car and they tilted it up like this. It looked like a rocket. It had those big flares out the back. It looked like it was going to shoot off. And there it was. Oh, I got to see those cars. I can't believe he let a young guy like me just spend all day across the street looking at cars, looking at cars. And then the thing I love, they began to build houses. You can go to any city in America, you can almost tell that's a World War II house, post-World War II, and they stamped them. We have so many areas around here, a lot over there in Willow Glen, and some over here, just off of 87 and 101, and World War II houses stamped many in Santa Clara. You know, a man by the name of Dwight Eisenhower, he was our president. In 1956, he signed an agreement, he said, we are gonna be, begin to build in America something called, we didn't know about this, the interstate. And they began to connect states together. There was Route 66, that was it. But they began to build these roads to connect the states together. One is called I-80 and it goes from here to New Jersey. There's one now that was more modern, but it had been on the plans for years ago. Actually came into being more since I've been pastoring this church, but it's called I-5 from Mexico to Canada, all the way up California. It's amazing. They began to make these roads. They made one from 
New England that goes all the way down to Florida and you cut on through from the Midwest up in Michigan all the way through. I've traveled that road I-75 so many times through Chattanooga, through Tennessee, through those states, driving a car to meetings. Oh, I tell you what, the interstate, it was exciting. They began to make something called motels, not hotels, motels. And you could stay overnight in a motel. And then they came out with this Motel 6. It was called Motel 6 because it was $6 a night. Then Motel 8 because it was $8 a night. And when we got married, we went to a Holiday Inn and it was either 11 or $13 a night. I'll never forget that. I'll tell you what, I, I love the generation I grew up in. I love the 50s, I love the 60s. And I want you to know that you're living in a great time in this generation. You know one of the greatest things that happened in the 50s and 60s as they came home from war? They began to build these great churches, large churches, soul winning churches. They started these things called buses and they ran them all over. Ohio had scores of churches that would run 1,000 and 2,000 and 3,000 and 4,000 and 5,000. Temple Baptist Church in Detroit was running 6,000. Oh, exciting, Cincinnati. Landmark Baptist Church, thousands would come. Tom Malone, thousands would come. Dr. Lee Robertson, eventually 12,000 a Sunday. Exciting times. But if we're not careful, we think everybody back here had it the best, or everybody over here is gonna have it the best, and we're living in the worst time. I wanna be very, Cautious but very direct, I say this. We're being told we live in a racist country. That's a strange thing for me to hear because I've never had an ethnic group of any race or color be mean to me. I can't think of one time, and I cannot think, when someone says you're racist, I can't think of one time I've been mean to anybody. I reached a man for Christ who was a black man in the late 70s, early 80s, and someone took a, a, a key and wrote a, a, a terrible word on the back of his car. I remember on Wednesday, I heard about it. Wednesday night, we raised the money, had it all repainted. Of excellent. I'm not gonna tolerate that in this area. I was in Los Angeles this past week, preaching on Thursday night, flew down and then flew back. I believe I was in Single Hill at dinner with the pastor right before service. There was this big, big, giant, good-looking black man with two little beautiful little girls. I don't know if they were his daughters or granddaughters. Couldn't quite figure it out. He looked so good. I wanted to talk to that man so much and I didn't want to interrupt his dinner. We got up, we finished. I walked by his table. I said, so who'd you play for? Big football guy. You know what? He gave me the nicest smile, the sweetest man. He laughed. Those girls, they were smiling. Don't tell me. I know there's people everywhere that are oddballs, uh, but don't tell me that, what's this stuff that black people are mean and hateful? There's a, there's a element. What's this stuff about white folks? I know I'm on the internet right now. I'm not saying anything wrong, 
My mother fell in a store when she was in her 90s, and she said, son, they took me to the hospital. You know what, in that grocery store, there was about 20 people all around me, and I'll never forget she said this. She said, son, we have a good country. People are so kind. They wanted to help your dad and me in our time of need. I was walking into my hotel because I was gonna stay and catch the first flight out the next morning on Thursday night to get on the broadcast here. And I was staying, what I don't know what city I was staying in, but I was somewhere in LA. And um, I walked in and there that night, about nine o'clock, 9.30, a man was checking in and um, a black man. And it had a hat on. It, it said LA on it. I said, excuse me, sir. He's in line in front of me. He turned around. I said, the hat has to go. He looked at me and smiled and said, brother, you have got to be kidding me. The guy behind the desk was all worried like, oh no, what's gonna happen here? <laughs> and he said, he said, sir, behind the desk, he said, do you know where you're at? And the guy with the LA hat said, you're in LA. I said, oh yeah, I'm sorry. You can keep it on, I guess, that's all right. You know what, I'm gonna have fun in life with people. Some of the dearest, kindest people I've ever met in my life and probably Brother Van Dyke, the greatest Christian I know is not white, friend. And I'm not gonna let people tell me that we hate one another. You don't run buses and hate one another. You don't send thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars annually overseas to other countries of the world and hate people. For God so loved the world he gave. Invest in people and here, God says of David, he, he served his generation. I have great hope for this generation. I have great hope because we're getting so low that the only way up is up. That's the only way out of this mess. To get down so low and in the gutter and below the gutter is to look up and say, God, we need you. He served his own generation. I want you to see the labor of his work. The Bible said he had served. It was a serving man. Serving his effort. Serving his work. First and second Samuel, you read in first and second Chronicles, David was always working working to help people, working to care for people, working to try to raise money to build the building. He was a serving man. You wanna be happy in life? Serve. Don't be a taker, be a giver. Givers serve their generation. We live in a take society. We live that, okay, I'm gonna vote for this guy. He's gonna give me free education. Free education, that is gonna destroy the male masculinity of man. A man ought to work. A man ought to learn the joy of working. There's fulfillment in work. Not where government says, okay, free schooling. Okay, free food. Okay, free living. Okay, free, free drugs. Okay, free drink. Okay, free this, free that. No, a man must learn to work and care for his family and work to care for others on the pathway of life. He served. He wasn't a taker. He was a giver. 
John F. Kennedy was considered a liberal. But I tell you what, today he'd be a very right-wing conservative compared to what it was, what it is today. John F. Kennedy, I think the greatest thing he ever said, I can recall him saying it, and you know what it is, ask not what your country can do for you, but for what you can do for your country. He said, you don't be a giver, a taker, you be a giver. Tonight, if North Valley Baptist Church is gonna to continue to be the great church that she is, we have to continue to be a giving church, finding ways to help our neighbors, finding ways to help our church, finding ways to help the sick and the needy that we know on the pathway of life. I find, I find that there was labor he served. I find, secondly, his loved ones of his generation. Not only his labor in his generation, but his loved ones. All throughout these Old Testament books, you see his siblings scoffed him. Why'd you come to see us at the battle? First Samuel 17, David. I know the lie of his older brother. I know the naughtiness and the pride of your heart. His siblings were not kind to him, but he was kind to his siblings. Saul hunted his life, but he spared Saul's life. His spouse, isn't that something, his siblings. Saul, his spouse, Michael, she eyed him when he came back from war as they saw him dancing in the streets and playing instruments and joined in the Lord of the victories and she eyed him from that day forward. Her dad was Saul and she got so mad at their own wife, she, she could not stand her husband. I look at sin, unfortunately he stumbled on the pathway of life with Bathsheba. But he loved people. God said to him, he said, I, I'm not gonna request, honor your request. You wanna build a house for me, I'm not gonna let you do it. You failed over here, I'm not gonna let you do it. David said, I cannot build a house for God. I've been a man of war and blood. But I'm gonna do everything in my power to help my boy. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David of his own self gave him a silver and a gold. David gave everything he could. He drew the blueprints for the building, the tablet of the temple. Everything he could do, he said, let's raise money. It's time to raise money. He built something for God, but he was blessing his son, Solomon. I find thirdly, and I think I'll close, not only the labor of his work in his generation, the loved ones in his generation, but have you noticed the limitation of his work for his generation? And after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. It was laid unto his fathers and he saw corruption. You know, we just have a window, just a window of time to make our lives count for God. Just a window to be a youth with a tremendous testimony in the youth department. Just a window to be in college. I think the only time I figured it with freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years, it only comes up to about 600 or some days in schooling. You just have a window to do something with your life or your generation.
I pondered this past week as a boy growing up in this area. I think of all the preachers that I admired so much. Once a quarter on a Friday night, we'd get all the churches together in what is now called the Bay Area and we'd have a big inspiration. It might be in San Francisco at Calvary Baptist Church or it might be over there at Hamilton Square Baptist Church on the hill in Frisco. It might be at this church or that church. And then once a quarter on a Tuesday night, they'd run out a roller rink in Hayward, moving into Oakland area. And all the Christians would come, teenagers, and have that roller rink. On Friday nights, we'd play softball, fast pitch softball in Castro Valley. And then on Tuesday nights, we'd be play basketball in Hayward at Tennyson High. Christians in these leagues, and it was wonderful. But I got thinking of those preachers. Dr. Roy Austin would pastor Calvary Baptist Church in San Francisco on Mission Street, and Pat Carr grew up in that church as what would be considered today a bus kid. Dr. Austin, they had theater seats, and Brother Carl and Cheryl Harder, Cheryl, God bless you. Carl's with the Lord, but you were married in that church. I remember your wedding. Dr. Austin would get to the invitation to come off that platform. He'd pull one of those theater chairs, it looked like a theater chair down, and he had the same one, it was always, and he'd stand on top of it. And he'd plead with people to come to Christ in San Francisco. He's home with the Lord. He's been gone so many years. Dr. Arnold Winnegar, it's named after Arnold Gabeline in our Schofield Bible. Dr. Arnold Winnegar was our dear sweet friend. He was the, he was the president of San Francisco Theological Baptist Seminary. And young people would come from Bob Jones and from Tennessee Temple, from Pillsbury and from Piedmont and from Prairie Bible Institute. And they'd come here, about 100 men for training after, high, after college, four more years of seminary. They'd scatter out to all of our churches on the weekends. And so you'd wind up with two, three or four of these preacher boys that had already gone through Bible college and now were in seminary in San Francisco. Dr. Winnegar, I have his Bible on my office that he preached from. Dr. Winnegar's home with the Lord. Brother Bill Whitaker in Dublin began the church up on the hill. He began in a, in a school, he was a little bit later in life, but 1968, I remember when they began. Dr. Archer Winnegar in Oakland pastored the great church. I attended his funeral, there were hundreds of preachers there. I sat on the platform with many preachers and a man from the parliament in, in Ireland came and there were police and undercover, right next to me was undercover, news media everywhere. And what a service that was for Dr. Archer Winnegar. What a great man of God. He had the blueprint paper. Every Monday it would come out. And what a great work, but he's dead, he's gone. And over there in San Leandro, Brother Dusty Rhodes, and he eventually went blind, but still preached in San Leandro off of Llewellyn Boulevard and that great manor Baptist church, but he's gone. He was such a kind man. And over there in Santa Rosa and then came down to San Jose and, and Morgan Hill was Brother Al Rutledge. He started a church in Sunnydale called North Valley Baptist Church of Sunnydale. And a few months later, we became North Valley Baptist Church of Santa Clara. I think of my own pastor, Dr. Ken Smith in Fremont. How he faithfully started that church in 1954, 55. 
and he preached the word of God. And he was so faithful. And I remember looking and preaching at his funeral and seeing his body in that casket. What a sad thing uh, uh, to, to uh, at his wife's funeral and to see her lying there and then to see that he passed away as well. Faithful man. Dr. Belshaw was Brother Jim Keel's grandfather, pastored over here at Trinity Baptist Church in Sunnyvale. Brother Harold Twiney pastored over here in Campbell. And what a church. Dr. Sands pastored the church up on the hill in San Jose. He was saved as a result of a lady in our church that led him to Christ so many years before. I think of the Bishop brothers at First Baptist Church and there are two brothers that pastored and Calvary Baptist Church in Los Gatos. I think of my pastor for a while, Dr. Jost, Pastor Jost in Hayward. Hey, I wanna tell you about every one of them. They're dead and gone. All the professors in my college are dead and gone because you only get a window to serve your generation. And then you're laid to rest. David served his generation. Are you gonna serve your generation? The race has a limit. It's a season. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. He fell asleep, that means he died. He died. Do you notice that verse says, by the will of God, God has a will for your life. What's a will of God? It's a desire, it's a plan, it's a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. So many of you young sweet girls, that man will not make it in the ministry without you. You're not a help mate, you're a help meet. The Bible says, you have been created to meet the needs of that man. He cannot make it without you. He needs you. Don't boss him around, don't criticize him, don't attack him, he needs you. He absolutely needs you. He won't make it without you. And it's God's will, God's desire, God's plan, but God's purpose that he'd raise you up, young ladies, to help a man of God, a father, a husband, help you raise a family. That's why men should treat their wife with all great respect. God has a will for all of us and it's not Facebook. God has a will for your life. As I close, I have pondered much this week about my wonderful journey called life with my wife. And these wonderful years here at this great church. Our church was six months old, seven months old when we came. Still a little church, a young church, about 20 adults. We did not own the property. In fact, they began to sell it. First Baptist Church in the Hill owned it and Congressman Don Edwards owned it. People were coming through on a Saturday because it was advertised in the paper, they're gonna sell it. I called Dr. Sands and said, you can't sell it. He said, meet me at First Street on Monday morning, we'll talk about it. I said, sir, that building, that's ours, we gotta have it. He said, I gave you 30 days to get the money. If I remember, it was either 90,000 or 140, I can't remember right now. And we had just come through raising, uh, we were on a campaign, $1,000 a day. That was a lot of money 45 years ago. I had drained it out of the people. But I said, folks, we have no choice. We've got to buy this two-thirds of an acre. We bought some houses since then, and we're up to an acre. You know, God put in my heart a vision for this city. I'd come over here to see my aunt who lived behind El Camino Moonlight at Shopping Center. She bought a house here in 1953. We'd come over about once a month to see her and my uncle. They never had children. I was eventually her pastor. 
I, I, in 1967, they would send me from Fremont at times. They said, we want you to go over to the Fry's store. It was a grocery store on El Camino in the Moonlight Shopping Center. Jack, you're going to be working there today. And then they'd say, you're going to be working there all week this week. I was working in Santa Clara. Little did I know in 1967, I was going to be pastoring a church a few years later in Santa Clara, California. I love this area. I love this city. This is where God placed me. I'll never own 50 acres. I know that for my wife and I, but thank God I won't have to contend with those mosquitoes on 50 acres. I want you to know this. God put some great vision in my heart, but it would have never been accomplished without you. I had a vision for worldwide missions. My dollars and cents that we give to missions and we give heavy, but it would never keep the missionaries on the field every month, but you do. And collectively, look what we've done together. We've begun churches all over the world. We've begun churches all over America and all up and down California. That was, a, that was God's will for my life. That's God's purpose for my life. But I couldn't do it without you. You know, it was God's purpose that he put on my heart, the bus ministry. And we started running those buses, a 1948 International, 1956 Chevy, and a 1956, uh, 1956 GMC, and a 1957 Chevy bus. And we began to run those buses and pick up boys and girls and men and women. And I'm so very thankful for the, the thousands and tens of thousands that have trusted Christ as Savior. Nearing 200,000 now that have been born again. How'd that happen? Oh, in the early days, I'd drive a bus. And I drove a bus to teen snow camp and all those things, yes. But I haven't driven a bus in over 40 years. How'd we bring all those riders in? God's people lifted the arms and said, Pastor, we'll get behind the bus ministry. We'll get behind the bus ministry. I, I must close. I, I remember the night I was preaching, we had a big day. It was Mark Turner's last day with us. We were sending him down to Moreno Valley. It was in, in, uh, and he was gonna go to Moreno Valley to start a church, which he did. And I said to the fellows, we can't get out of our area. I don't have any more, I can't afford any more buses right now. Stay in our area. And Mark did not, I don't think, did it out of rebellion. He, he, just, he just got excited and went up to this place called East Palo Alto. And he just started reaching people on Sunday. This is, I found out on Saturday, he said, Mark, why, why'd you go there? And he said, man, they're open up there, Pastor. On his first Sunday, he had 268 riders. I said to the church, I said, I didn't plan on starting a ride up there. We don't have a driver. We don't have a captain. And we don't have a bus. I'll never forget, at the invitation, Wendy Hagner came forward and said, I'll be the bus captain. When I was walking out, Dr. Brother Colonel, uh, Colonel Harder said, I'll drive the bus. I got to the door and Christina Martinez said, find a bus this week and I'll get you the money, I'll pay for it. We were picking up one of these tents and a man in Sacramento, we were picking him up at the loading dock as he loaded, he said, you know what? I know North Valley Baptist Church. I'm from East Palo Alto. 
I rode the bus and got saved. Steve Brockman was my bus captain. I know your church. It's my church. I want you to know people come and go, go and it breaks my heart every time. And some go on for God, some quit for God. I don't quit, I know that. But we could not have these buildings without you. Do you remember raising funds for this building? Hard to believe it's 21 years ago, I think. And then that building 20 years ago, we had some houses on Clyde Avenue, we sold them. So get some more money uh, to build these buildings. Then that building was purchased, built for us, and this property, as God gave it to us, and this loading dock was removed, and then we built that 3,000-seat auditorium. I could not build that, but we had people of God. I said, I'll serve my generation. Tonight, as we close, would you commit your life to get to my age and look back and say, I serve my generation? I served my generation as a police officer, as a doctor, as a nurse. I served my generation as a businessman, as a deacon, as a Sunday school teacher, as a bus worker. I served my generation. And then one day God's gonna say, your race is over, son. Why don't you come home tonight? Why don't you make this the night you come and see me? I'm trying not to say it, but I have to say it. I thought so much this week of my sweet sister. November 3rd, as she, with no warning, drew her last breath, went into the presence of God. Her parents outlived her by 21 and 23 years. She was healthy, she just died. One day your race will be over if the Lord tarries, and mine will too. I hope it could be said, as it said of David, Jack served his generation. I'd hope that it would say that Cindy Treber, she has served her generation. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.